So yeah, that's an interesting story. I'm not exactly sure how my mom pulled that off, but I basically started school a year before I was supposed to. And as a result, I was always the youngest person in my class. And when you're a young kid, this is this is something that I was always very much aware of. You know, when you're six years old and everybody else is seven, there's a, there's a huge gap and there's a huge difference if you're 10 and everybody else is 11, etc. So uh, when you're very young, this is a very noticeable thing. And I think it's created kind of like contributed to me going for infosec on two levels uh, one of them was i tended to because i've always felt different um and i was always constantly reminded that i was different i tended to look at things differently i, I tended to uh, look at you know particular situations in whatever way nobody else was looking at from cobalt at home this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. I am so happy to be joined today by my good friend, Tiago Teles. Tiago, your name is Portuguese, and I wonder if you would start out by sharing with us what is actually the correct pronunciation of your name? So my name in Portuguese is pronounced Tiago, and then my surname Telsh, which I usually try not to say to an English-speaking audience because if they refer to me by my correct name, my brain would be thinking in English and I'll be like, oh, who exactly are you referring to? Say, oh, wait, that's my name, that's me. Oh, sorry about that. So I usually just say, pretend it's an English one, read it as Tiago Telsh, and that's kind of okay. Awesome. Well, that works. And I will, you know, in general, I, I really strive to pronounce people's names uh, correctly uh, in the native language if I can. Uh, but given this context that you and I have discussed, uh, and given that for years uh, that I've known you, uh, I've known you as Tiago, uh, I, I, will, I, will, I will go with that. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Tiago, tell me, what are you doing in your job today? What is your role uh, and what do you do? So I'm an information security evangelist at a Dutch bank called ABN AMRO. And I've been doing that for a few years now. Um, let me see about three, four years. Before that, I worked different capacities inside that bank uh, and I did consulting before that and I lived in a few different countries. So yeah, I could go on and on, but I feel that uh, it might uh, in length and the episode of the podcast it might be too much. Well, I think that is a perfect start. And certainly uh, we will be going through various uh, parts of your career, uh, different spotlights and different highlights. Um, but how I'd like to start actually is I'd love to learn about you as a young person. Um, when, when you and I were talking earlier, you shared with me that your mom actually got you to skip a year in school. Um, and so what do you think has been the impact um, of that decision uh, and that context as you were growing up uh, and throughout your life? So, yeah, that's an interesting story. I'm not exactly sure how my mom pulled that off, but I basically started school a year before I was supposed to. And as a result, I was always the youngest person in my class. And when you're a young kid, this is, 
this is something that I was always very much aware of. You know, when you're six years old and everybody else is seven, there's a, there's a huge gap and there's a huge difference if you're 10 and everybody else is 11, et cetera. So uh, when you're very young, this is a very noticeable thing. And I think it's created kind of like contributed to me going for InfoSec on two levels. Uh, one of them was I tended to, because I've always felt different um, and I was always constantly reminded that I was different. I tended to look at things differently. I, I tended to uh, look at you know, particular situations in whatever way nobody else was looking at. And I think that's at the heart of information security and that's probably what it runs uh, me to information security. Because you know, in InfoSec, uh, whenever a developer says, I'm developing a website, it has this little input field and I want to put the age of a customer there and they have to put a number, we in InfoSec usually say, what if they do not put a number? What if they put a letter or they put three letters or they put a space or they put a gigabyte of information? How would the system behave? So in InfoSec, we tend to look at things differently. And for me, it's looking at things differently started from a very young age. So that's from one point of view. And another one is um, being reminded that I was always um, different in some way uh, made me also very much aware of when people in a group uh, feel different or are different or uh, are uniquely put in some way. Uh, and so I feel that, you know, when we talk about diversity in InfoSec, which is something that I'm very passionate about, then it probably began at that moment. I was always feeling different to everybody else around me. And yeah. You know, I think it's so interesting. Um of course, uh, speaking to uh, both friends and security experts like yourself on the podcast, and then just, you know, talking with friends and colleagues of mine, I feel that this experience of being a young person and feeling so different uh, is actually quite universal in some ways. Um, Tiago, I wonder if you would consider sharing with us, because I know that you have a couple of kids yourself, uh, if, if your family has ever had a particular philosophy about uh, we would like for our kids to uh, be surrounded by peers uh, that are very close to them in age, or, or, or if you found it, you thought it was an advantage uh, that you were always a bit younger. I'm, I'm just curious, having gone through that experience, uh, if you have uh, had any strong philosophy or decision about how you might structure things for your own children? Absolutely. It's, it's something that we, what we, like being different, I think is an asset in life. And it's, it, it makes you, it makes you a better uh, person if you're the one contributing something different to an overall group. So in the case of my kids, they're now 10 and seven. Um, we live in the Netherlands, we are Portuguese, and so they go to an international school where all of their friends are from all over the world. So all of their friends are, have, you know, have different ethnic backgrounds, they have different skin colors, they have different religions, they worship at home, they speak different languages at home. It's a very interesting um, experience for them, and I see how much it enriches them and they become better humans because they get to interact with different languages, they get to learn about uh, different uh, holidays and different religions and different cultures and different traditions and learning that from a very young age i think shapes them as to be ultimately better humans in the future yeah. it's incredible i think they're so fortunate uh to be in a situation like that uh with such thoughtful parents um 
Tiago, I understand you were born and raised in Portugal. You moved to Spain. You moved to the Netherlands. Um, can you tell me also about how each of those moves has shaped you as a person um, and then sort of the the different job changes that you did uh, with each of those moves. In particular, I'm curious to know, was it the job that inspired the move or was it the move that inspired the job? So that's an interesting question. Let me see. So I, 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 I'm Portuguese, born and raised. I studied there and I um, started my career in Portugal. Then my uh, wife and I decided to move to Spain primarily because, well, we like Spain, we like Spanish culture, we like Spanish things. Uh, so we thought, okay, let's move there and let's try it out. And um, so we, we moved to Spain with the goal of kind of like, I want to do a different experience for our lives and talking about being different than, of course, when you move, when you become an immigrant in a different country, then you're obviously the odd one out. But um, it's kind of, so when I first moved to Spain, I moved kind of like, let's try something new. Let's try something different. We lived there a few years. Then for the Netherlands, we said, you know what, let's now do something. We were getting a little bit tired of both of our jobs. And we thought, well, we're also tired of living in this city. So let's just move to a different one. Which one should it be? And we aimed at the Netherlands and that's how we kind of like came here. But the thing is, when we thought about where we want to live, we primarily tried to think about first, like what is it that I want for myself? And then the career and the, the job opportunities come after. And of course, if you're, if you're working in Fasec, uh, and I started working a long time ago, then you, at the beginning, it wasn't really that big of a industry, uh, but nowadays it's grown to be you know, much bigger. So we now have a lot of options. You can kind of like choose first, where do you want to live? What kind of environment do you want to surround yourself with? And then you can say, okay, uh, given that constraint, what is it that I want to do and uh, which companies do I want to work for? And the things kind of like, take it from there. Yeah, I love that about this world. Um, for those of us uh, that are in a fortunate position such as, such as you and I, um, who both have information security skills um, that, are, that are marketable um, and have actually this ability to choose where in the world we live. I think that's one of the coolest things actually about being in this industry. Um, Tiago, I could talk to you about your sort of personal life uh, for hours and hours. I actually do want to bring it back to security. Um, tell me about an accident that happened when you were in university. Yeah, well, about that. I hope nobody uh, from my old university actually is listening to this, but there was once a situation where it kind of like it drawn me to consider information security. And I was basically in a thought process trying to figure out whether a particular program that I had in my head would, uh, would crash a system. And I thought, I'll write it. And it's a while one fork, just to see what would happen. And unfortunately I had a Windows machine and I wanted to try this on Linux. So uh, I logged into a university server via Telnet. And then I wrote that code while one fork. And then I, I, compiled it and I executed and tried to answer the question, would this bring down a system? And it turns out it does. 
and that <laughs> system was used. Oh, it turns out that you know creating an infinite loop of pro of a program that creates other programs that are in an infinite loop creating other programs. It turns out it consumes you know all the resources of the machine really quickly. And so the machine became instantly non-responsive, and then it turns out it was being used by hundreds of people throughout the university. And uh, this unfortunately happened on a Saturday. So I sent an email to the guy managing that saying, hey, that was a little bit of a mistake that I made, but it turns out the mail server was also running on that system, so he didn't get the mail. When he finally got to the system on Monday, he figured out what had happened. I obviously received a very angry email from the guy basically saying, you know, what you did was profoundly responsible. And I thought, at that time I thought, you know, it is true that, you know, it's very true that I did something very wrong. But then at the same time, the system should not have behaved like that. It is true that indeed this particular user out of hundreds of users um, did something wrong on the server, but you should assume that your users sometimes might do something wrong. And in this particular case, that particular system admin had a user who was an unmitigated moron, which was me. And that sometimes happens. And then it kind of let me think like, if I were in his position, would I have built a server that would fall under such a circumstances? And yeah, that's probably the incident that got me thinking a lot about information security. It is such a good story, and I really appreciate you sharing it with us here. Um, I understand that after you graduated, you actually worked in IT for a while as a developer, and then you got interested in security. Um, I'm curious to know, as a developer, prior to taking on a former role in security, did you ever think about security? Well, sometimes I would. It was actually interesting. I worked for an e-commerce website and I was just one of the developers, you know, uh, just developing the website. And then um, I was always usually the one saying, is it possible for us, you know, like they would have like passwords would be poorly stored and, you know, other security mistakes. And I'll be like, ah, what if a user does this? What if, they, you know, what if this happens? Uh, should that be there or not? That was kind of like the odd one out. And, you know, again, odd one out asking, strange, complicated questions. And uh, most people are kind of like, oh, come on, man, let's, let's focus on, you know, let's get it to production. Let's just, you know, move on. Like, who cares? Nobody's asking for that. Nobody's breathing down my neck because of that. But I had that thing, you know, always on the back of my mind. And then fortunately for, for my InfoSec career, that company decided to be one of the first ones in Portugal to be certified with ISO 27001. So suddenly security started becoming a really important thing. And, uh, and then that's when I started realizing, okay, we have a number of holes in our system. There's a lot of things that we're doing wrong. And let, let's fix it and let's do it better. And then, you know, auditors would come along and they would verify that we're doing the right thing or not. And then kind of like I started more and more getting into security. But I remember when this security guy joined that, you know, he started looking at me for an anchor because of all the developers, I was the one that I was always, you know, talking about security and thinking about security and getting interested in security. Very cool. So you got in kind of because of a compliance driver starting in risk assessments. What did it look like for you as you were sort of transitioning into consulting? Um, why did you decide to work for a consulting company? 
So I started to realize that um, if you want to get the job of information security right, and you know, immediately on my first job, I started realizing this problem, which is in InfoSec, we're trying to get people to do the right thing. And we're often trying to capture the attention of people whose first job is not to care about security. And they don't think you know, in terms of abuse cases like we do, they think about use cases. So there's a mismatch between what people say and what we in InfoSec say. And I figured out that if you, if you can play a role in bridging that gap, you're gonna add a lot of value. Because what I found out working with developers alone uh, uh, throughout the years and across many different countries is that developers want to do the right thing. They want to do a secure system. They want to be praised for doing a secure thing. But we in InfoSec oftentimes talk about different things and use terms which are not in their world. And that's where the mismatch happens. But consulting was an opportunity to say, you know what, I can be the guy that plays that role that finally bridges that gap that, you know, tries to understand what people are going through, understand why, what motivates their decisions to, you know, incorporate security or not incorporate security. And then if you're a really good consultant, then you're, you can be that guy that bridges that gap. And if you bridge that gap and, you know, suddenly you, you get to be the hero of the day. Everybody loves you and everybody loves the work that you do. And I thought, wow, there's an opportunity. You know, InfoSec is really cool. Everybody wants to do uh, secure stuff. Nobody's doing it. So at the core of it, the problem is on lack of communication. In InfoSec, we don't know how to communicate in general. So I thought, wow, I can play a role there. So that got me excited about going to consulting. Yeah, that's so cool. You know, um, I'm super grateful for us having worked at Sigital together so that we could meet and also that we've kept in touch over the years. I also think it's super interesting that, you know, at one point in time, you were the head of cryptography at the bank. And I think that, I don't know, when I think about like my stereotypical head of cryptography, I don't necessarily think this person is also an excellent communicator. Um, and so I, I think it's really interesting, Tiago, um, that you actually have both of those skill sets, uh, that you're actually very technical um, and at the same time have an ability to, uh, to communicate effectively with others and also understand the importance of that. Now, tell me, how did you how did you find yourself in this head of cryptography role? And what was that like for you? So that was a really a lot of fun. So um, one of the things that motivated me throughout my career, it's kind of like how I did different things always within InfoSec was always trying to figure out where are the gaps? Where are people not paying attention to? And that in my experience has led me to, you know, advance in my, in my InfoSec career. So at some point I figured out so I had a, a, a natural interest and the natural liking to, to cryptography. I took a lot of you know, uh, courses on cryptography and, and, and I always loved math. And then I thought, wow, this is really cool stuff. And I wish I could explain it to everybody else that you know, all of my colleagues at, at, at the bank and tell them like, hey, I wanna, you know, I wanna teach you all the basics of cryptography. Just you know, give me a good three, four hours and I'll do that for you. And then I started doing a bit of that and then eventually I got one of the, one of the 
um, one of the guys responsible for security operations in the bank that started looking at cryptography also with more serious look uh, because he figured out, you know, we're not doing everything the right way on the field of cryptography. We could be servicing our internal, you know, our internal, what we call them, clients, you know, IT developers and, you know, product owners, et cetera, with better services. And if we do that, then, you know, uh, if you do that in the field of cryptography, then uh, the security of the bank will ultimately be a lot better. So then I started pitching to him, say, hey, this is really, this is a really important topic. We have a really great opportunity here to shine. We're not doing things the right way. We can do things the right way. So let's just, you know, go for it. Let's just, let's just try and do this. And I think um, eventually that convinced him to say, you know what, I'll, I like what you're saying. So um, at the time I was working as a risk assessor in the, in, in the bank and he said, you know what, I'm going to move you to the cryptography team. And, you know, eventually I, 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 I got promoted to, to, to lead it because it was a newly created team. He figured out, okay, I'm going to, uh, he had a lot of people that were excellent and very experienced at key management, and but not cryptography as a whole. And he thought, I have key management people. They're phenomenal. I love them, but we need to do something bigger. We're going to put Tiago there and then eventually promoted me. And then you know, I started kind of like uh, started the whole thing uh, practically from scratch, which was a lot of fun to, to try to create something uh, that didn't really exist before. So. Here I am just like talking to myself on mute. Tiago, um, that's so cool. Um, I wonder, you know, how do you think we as an industry can begin to address some of this communication problem uh, that you've talked about? You know, helping people to understand really what is security, what is the value of security. Um, certainly every once in a while, there will be an individual like yourself who has a skill set and can kind of go into an organization or on behalf of an organization and connect those dots and speak with different people. Um, as an industry, I wonder if you have any advice for us in terms of how we might be able to do more of this? So I think ultimately it ties down to like, what is the purpose that, that you know, whoever you're trying to interact with, what's, the, what's their, their purpose? What's the thing that drives them? What is it they think that they care about and they value? If you, you know, for instance, in, um, in the bank that I work at, a key component of everything we do is trust, right? You know, we want our clients to trust us and they trust us with, some of their most precious aspect of their lives, you know, their, their money, and they expect us to do really good on that. And I usually try to pitch them the idea that uh, what we sell is trust. So how do you achieve trust? Well, there's a little thing called security, and you need to pay attention to that. Now, you might have heard of security, and it sounds awful, and it sounds difficult, it sounds complicated, don't worry about it, I'm here to clarify it for you. So I try to first of all figure out, okay, what's that? What what is it that drives the other person? Then try to put the security message in terms of you want security because of that thing you value, and then say you might have heard of security before. It sounds complicated, and so don't worry that there are some things that are complicated. Indeed, we have a department for that. We have geeks working on it. Here's the thing you have to do, and here's the list of three things that I want you to do. And then if you do that, you're going to be fine. So. Sometimes that works. There are other 
sometimes other people just say, you know what, I just want, you know, I don't want auditors on my back or something. And I can tell them, look, I can, you know, I can make the auditors not be on your back. You know, you auditor came back with 15 issues. We're going to solve those, but you don't want auditors to come back in the future, right? Or even better, you want an auditor to come back and say, this guy did really great on this security stuff and tell your boss that this guy did really great. So, hey, there's a few things you might want to consider. So I usually try to figure out like, what is it that motivates them and drives them? And then based on that, then go for, here's how security adds to that. Yeah, fantastic. Tiago, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, I wonder if you might leave our listeners with any forecasts or predictions that you might have with regards to what we may see in the information security industry in the future, um, or how you think the industry may be changing? So I, I, I'm an optimist and I like, to, I like the, the, how the industry is changing and embracing diversity. It's not there everywhere, but it's something that I'm very passionate about and I think going forward we're going to see more and more of that the reason i say that is because we you know I, i've worked in environments that were not very diverse you know just a bunch of guys or something like that and conversations tend to go have a natural tendency to go somewhere where it's not very nice and and then it, it creates an odd environment but when you start getting you know uh, more diversity and you get two or three women to join then it suddenly becomes more interesting it suddenly it's kind of like the air uh, becomes more breathable. Uh, and then you start getting more out of everybody. Uh, and, and of course, this, when you talk about diversity, ultimately it's about uh, respecting everybody. So, uh, and trying to understand what actions you do that might uh, you know, put other people back, uh, whether they are, you know, women or whether it's LGBT or whether it's, you know, uh, uh, immigrants or whether it is like whatever it is. Because I see that positive change in this industry. And I, I, I see it because we as an industry lack, you know, people, there are millions of uh, unf un un unfilled cybersecurity positions throughout the world. And uh, I think we, the more we embrace diversity, the more we're going to get uh, uh, more people to join our industry and the better it's going to be. That's one. And second, uh, I think when you embrace diversity and when you're working in environments which are diverse, you naturally become a much better listener. You naturally become more aware of how other people's uh, feelings are and how, you, how actions you do have a, a positive and a negative impact on other people. And when you become a better listener, you become a much better communicator. And if you're a much better communicator, you're ultimately going to be a much better information security professional. So that's on one side. On, on, so on, on behavior and trends. In terms of content, the way I see it, the next big thing that's coming to InfoSec, I think, is securing uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence systems. All of information security so far has mostly been focused on technical aspects, um, to 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 well-known uh, security uh, bugs and flaws, but I think now with the world changing, 
to embrace, to, to you know, have entire businesses running out of machine learning models and artificial intelligence models, then I, I think that information security, the next big step will be how do we secure these things? Because when you get systems that act in particular ways and you cannot know exactly why they do that, because it's, you know, it's, it's whatever the machine learned, then you might not be able to trace where your security issues might be and your attackers might be getting away with stuff. And I think that's a completely game changer uh, for information security professionals where you have to predict where your attackers might be because they might go undetected. Fantastic. Tiago, thank you so much for joining me, for sharing your thoughts and your story uh, with all of us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. It was great. A lot of fun. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.